in the book of Acts chapter 8. On this special Labor Day Sunday evening, with all the college-age students that have been in here and will continue to be here through Labor Day, there's a record here in the 8th chapter of the book of Acts which speaks loudly to our day and to our time. For those people who have ears to hear and eyes with which to see and who are cognizant spiritually of what is happening in our communities, in our state, and in our nation, this record from Acts chapter 8 will speak rather loudly. According to the record of chapter 7, Stephen had been taken out and stoned. And at the time of the stoning of Stephen, when they cast him out of the city and stoned him, the witnesses to this stoning laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Greek name. Same name, only in Hebrew it's Saul, in Greek it's Paul. Saul had been trained at the feet of one of the greatest theologian of his, theologians of his day, Gamaliel. Paul was a strict Pharisee. According to the law, he lived blamelessly. He kept every segment of the law with the greatest of his ability. He was a highly educated man. In our society today, we would refer to him as a man who would hold a Ph.D. Not only was he well educated, he was well disciplined. Not only was he well disciplined, he was well convinced within himself that he was doing God Almighty a favor when he cast his vote for the stoning of Stephen and when he stood there and watched the stoning occur, he really felt within himself that while this man was being killed, he, Saul or Paul, was doing God a favor by getting rid of him. And in chapter 8, verse 1, it says that Saul consented unto Stephen's death. And Saul was consenting unto his death and at that time, there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. Persecutions do not occur the first day you come up with a new idea. But when that idea begins to permeate, when that idea takes hold and people start believing in that idea, they will always persecute. Because change never comes until you first have persecution. The Galileans, everyone else that has ever had an idea, anyone who has dared to stand against the accepted principles or the status quo of society has always had to suffer persecution. 
and the people who have stood with that individual or stood with that group when it was small suffered persecution. In the early days of the Christian church, they spoke disparagingly of them by calling them followers of the way. That's what they called them. They would point their fingers at them and say, oh, there's another person, he's a follower of the way. Because Jesus Christ had dared to declare that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man cometh unto the Father but by me, he said. Remember? To think that anyone would dare to say, in that day, I am the way. Today we no longer say it in our accepted media of religious society. We say today he is only one of the ways on the way. Because all you need to be is sincere and you'll make it. No matter whether you believe in Hinduism, Shintoism, Buddhism, Brahmism, Taoism, Mohammedanism, or any otherism, just as long as you're sincere in what you believe, we're all headed the same way. That's not what Jesus declared. Jesus said, I am what? The way. He is not a way on the way. He is not something that you can just take one day and then turn over on something. He either is the way or isn't. The word said, and he declared that he was the way and the only way. This is why it says, there is no other way whereby anybody can be saved except through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we in the way ministry, again, are declaring with all of our enthusiasm and conviction and concern that there is only one way, and that is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that unless men and women come to that way, the Lord Jesus Christ, they do not have eternal life abiding within them. Sincerity is no guarantee for truth. Saul was as sincere when he stood there and watched the stoning of Stephen as I am sincere tonight trying to teach the integrity and accuracy and the inerrant accuracy of God's wonderful matchless word. But sincerity is no guarantee for truth. Stephen was right in having declared God's word. Saul was wrong in that he voted against him, voted for his execution, stood there and watched him being executed, thinking that he had done God a favor. In the early church, not only did they speak disparagingly of the followers of the way, but in Antioch of Syria, they were first called Christians. And the word Christian was a shame word. It was a disgrace word. It's the kind of thing that people many times in our society, years ago at least, they were ashamed to carry their Bibles to church for fear somebody might laugh at them because they had their Bible under their arms going to church. They used the word Christian, pointing them out and say, Ha, ah, there's a fellow, he says he has Christ in him. I can't see Christ in him, but he says he's got Christ in him. That's why they called them Christians, Christ in. 
Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death. And at that time, there was no small persecution. It was a great persecution because the believers were beginning to reach into the strata of society with the accuracy of God's word. And men and women were believing and the abundance was rising. The number was rising. The abundant number was rising. And therefore they were having more and more influence upon winning others. So they thought they'd quelch this by having a great persecution. And when the Bible says great, you know what it means? It means great. <laughs> That's right. This persecution you can read in your history books. When this persecution occurred, it says in verse 1, they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They stayed in Jerusalem. The rest of the leaders, the rest of the teachers, the rest of the people who wanted to see God's word move out, when the great persecution came, they scattered. Ladies and gentlemen, why do we have to wait for a persecution? It is God's will to move now. It is God's will to take the greatness of God's word and for once in our lifetime declare it again with all boldness and all conviction before the persecution needs to rise. God was waiting on them. They weren't waiting on God. God would have taken the word to Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth one day after the day of Pentecost had the people believed to move. It was the great persecution that finally got them to move. So I don't know if you ought to thank God for persecution or not. Even though he didn't bring it, it still helped to get God's people out where they ought to have been all along, out teaching and preaching God's word. Right. Now verse 2. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, and they made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he continued to make havoc, try to wreck the church, havoc of the church, entering into every house, hailing men and women, and he committed them to what? Prison. Was Paul or Saul sincere? That's right. This is the thing I want you to see. That sincerity is no guarantee for truth. Truth is truth. No matter who says what, when, or where, it is still truth. Truth is that which eternally is. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It does not change. Facts change, but not truth. The Latin word factum means to do or to make, from which we get the English word fact. Anything that man will do, man will make, that will change. It's a fact. But anything that God does is a truth. And truth is that which eternally is. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, if you and I can tap into truth, we can guarantee 
that it will be the same tomorrow as it is today. That it will be the same on Tuesday as it is on Sunday. And people, there's nothing worth tapping your life into that's any less than the greatness of God's wonderful matchless truth if you can find it. That's worth tapping into. Paul or Saul was sincere. He got himself, what do you have to have to get in somebody's house? Search warrant, got himself official search warrants. And he went into every Christian house he could get into. He took the men and women. And he imprisoned them. He voted against them. He saw them executed and saw them killed. And every time one of them died, I can see him on his knees praising God and saying, Well, Lord, I thank you for getting rid of another sinner. People, if you understand the word of God, that burns deeply in your heart. Because this man, Saul, I wouldn't have given him room in the way headquarters, not even outside of the building. I'd have locked the door on him. But God gave him room. Once Paul got converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, he was as convinced of that product as he had been convinced before that Christianity was all wrong. So Saul committed them to prison. And those people that had been suffering great persecution had left the city of Jerusalem. Verse 4 says, Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching what? The word. They went everywhere preaching the word. They didn't hold up the Bible and say, this is what the word says, and then take one little verse of scripture and rest it out of its context and preach their heart out. They preached the word. In the early church, every bit of preaching was expository. Every bit of preaching was basically the same thing that the way ministry does today, not only here at headquarters, but throughout the country, wherever we have believers who are meeting and working God's Word. All the preaching was an unfoldment of God's Word, a teaching ministry. Those that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the Word. I like that. They didn't preach their own opinion their own ideologies, their own ideas, their own theologies. They didn't preach what they liked. They preached what God wanted preached. They taught God's Word. They went everywhere preaching the Word. They were not late news reporters of what happened at the Democratic or National Convention, Republican Convention. They were not late news reporters of Life, Looker, Time, Saturday Evening Post, Playboy, or anything else. They were only concerned about one thing, preaching the word. Ladies and gentlemen, when this gets down in our hearts again today, men and women are going to be saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and start moving with the effervescence and the glory and the power of the majesty of the Lord on high. Preaching the word. Preaching the word. 
What a wonderful night it is, isn't it, to sit for three hours and just talk duck soup with people? You know, just sit and visit, do nothing. Terrible. Waste of your time, waste of mine, waste of theirs too. Anybody can talk about the weather. Anybody can talk about the Republican or the Democratic Convention. What about the Word? Very few people can talk about the Word. First of all, they don't know enough about it. They don't even know Genesis is in the New Testament. You see, if we know the Word, what greater joy is there? I better tell my radio audience I know it's in the Old Testament. <laughs> they can't see me. You can what greater joy is there than to spend a half hour sitting with a friend and maybe you start saying, well, isn't it a wonderful day? Then the second word is, have you thought about how great God's word is? Boy, then you're off and running. Maybe they're running the other way, but you're running behind them. <laughs> well, it's terrific. Everybody's talking about everything. Why not you talk about God's word? Why not I talk about God's word? Why not just a handful of us be so disciplined, so convinced, so sold on the greatness of God's word that this is our life. This is our whole being. Every time we get with people, we don't shove it down their throat. It's just as natural to us as breathing. I said to the college-age students this morning, if you've got a good case of measles, you don't have to tell anybody you've got them. They'll all know it. That's right. You see it. You can easily communicate them, too. If we have enough of the greatness of God's accuracy and wonderful power of his word within us, I don't have to write it on my sleeve and say, Victor Paul Werwell Christian. Huh. Victor Paul Werwell believes God's word. Don't have to write it. All you have to do is just be around me for an hour or two. And you'll know it. Don't have to write it. You don't have to tell me you love the Lord Jesus Christ. All I have to do is be around you a little while. I'll know what you love. Maybe golf. Promised a fellow I'd give five dollars extra the way ministry, the first fellow that could hit it from there at the bean field, so everybody's practiced. Still got a challenge here at the way headquarters. We have a friend who said he'd give fifty dollars if anybody could beat him in tennis, he'd give it to the way ministry. I asked him to raise it to a hundred, and then we go find someone who can wallop him. So, <laughs> oh, we're open for anything. No holes barred. Oh yes. Isn't it wonderful? They went everywhere preaching the word. This gets to me. Because in the days when I was questing, I went a lot of people, a lot of places, and I, they didn't preach the word. They just preached what they thought the word said. One little verse, and then they'd use it as a springboard and dive off of it, you know, and swim around below. And when they got all through swimming, they'd climb back up on the board, pronounce the benediction, we'd go home. Same verse. Nobody learned anything. That's why you take a group of people through the word like I'm going to take you tonight. you just going to know God's word when I get through with you. That's right. Why not? Because it's all written. I'm just taking a little time to get around to it. Once you can read it for yourself and understand it, from then on you've got it. Then it says in verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Now the Samaritans were half Jews. Remember that? They hated, the Jews really hated the Samaritans. Because they figured the Samaritans were way out left field. 
You remember the story in the New Testament of the Good Samaritan? Philip went down to Samaria. And when he got down to Samaria, what did he preach? Christ, who is the word? Christ, when you preach Christ, you're preaching what? The word. He preached Christ unto them. The same word. And verse 6 says, And the people with one accord. The words one accord, every time you read it, means unity of purpose. That's all it means. One accord does not mean that they were all of the same mental ability. One accord does not mean that they all have the same height of spiritual experience. One accord means only and simply unity of purpose. Like tonight, right now, we're here in one accord. Unity of purpose. We're here to study this word. You've got your Bibles open. I've got mine open. We're here for this one thing. This is the seventh time that these words, one accord, are used in the book of Acts, I believe, right at this point. They mean the same all the way through. The people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. They listened to what Philip spoke. They listened to what Philip said. Gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. Hearing and seeing what? The miracles. They believed what Philip said because they heard and saw the what? Miracles. If there had been no miracles, would they have believed Philip preaching? No. The only thing that convinced those people in Samaria that Philip was genuine, that he had the real McCoy, was because they heard and saw what? Miracles. And if there are no miracles in a body of believers today, they're not believers. Anybody can talk. Talk is cheap. But you've got to have signs, miracles, and wonders if there's real believing there. The Bible says he sent his word and healed them. Jesus Christ came that we might have life and have it how? More than abundantly. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.19 In Christ Jesus we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and he gave himself for us. Philip went to Samaria and he preached the word. But they only believed the preaching of the word because they heard and they saw the miracles which, what does it say, God did? No. They heard and saw the miracles which he, which he, verse 6, and I didn't write the book. The miracles which he, Philip, did. Is that what it says? That's right. That's what it means. It doesn't say that God did the miracles. This is the teaching today, and this is why we're not having signs, miracles, wonders. We're telling God all the time, well, God, get busy and work. God say, well, why don't you go to work? God worked in Christ Jesus, right? God did the work. God is waiting on young people and adults to go to work for him. But it's so much easier to put the responsibility on God, because then we don't have to do a blessed thing except sit. 
and look like we're real religious. It's like praying. You know. Man, if you've got to pray an hour, you're believing little. How long do you think it takes God to hear? You think he's got his earballs plugged? How long does a person have to pray? You know why you pray so long? Because we believe so little. Once you get to believing, you can stop praying. Most prayer is simply to get yourself up in the believing stage. That's all. They believed his preaching because they heard and saw the miracles which he did. Which he, Philip, did. Who did them? Philip did them. How did he do them? By the power of God within him. By the operation and manifestations of the Spirit. Three of which you saw here tonight speaking in tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. There are six more. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, faith, miracles, and healing. By those nine manifestations of the Spirit, Philip did the miracles. Now, is God a respecter of persons? No. Therefore, the same God that is in Philip has to be living in you if you're a born-again believer, right? The same God that's in Christ that was in Philip has to be in me if I am his, right? Okay, now you just sit and think. If he was able to do the miracles by the power of God that was in him and the same God is in you that was in Philip, then you can also do what? Signs, miracles, and wonders? Why don't you do them? Can only be two reasons. Number one, you don't know what to do. Or number two, you don't want to do it. That's all. Only reason. Same God. Those times in which Philip lived were times like we have in our country and like the times are increasing more and more in our country. Because the whole city of Samaria had been living under the influence of spiritualism. Great religious leaders had been there and they had led them into spiritualism. This is why religious leaders don't cut any ice with me. I'm not interested in whether they're a religious leader. I'm interested, are they Christians born again of God's Spirit and do they teach and believe literally what the Word of God says? That's what I'm interested in. For the city of Samaria had been infested and invaded by religious leaders till the people were so led so far away from God the true God, that it took the ministry of Philip to come in there and to preach the word of God and to do signs, miracles, and wonders that made the people sit up and say, well, that fellow has something. It says in verse 7 that unclean spirits, unclean are devil spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many, many, many in Samaria, many who were what? Possessed. That's what it says. That's what it means. All devil spirits, all spiritualism, 
All this stuff, basically, which is relegated to the extrasensory perception departments today in the fields of psychic research and psychical research, all comes under this category, and it's coming more and more with an increased acceleration in our day and our time. And you know it. Two of the three best-selling novels are... No, they're not, they don't call them novels. They call them something else. What do you call them? Books that are, you know, nonfiction. They call it nonfiction. Huh, biggest fiction baloney in the world. Today on the American market, three of the most outstanding sales in America today are all books dealing with the psychic realm, where, which Simon went into the city of Samaria to defeat. And unless somebody rises up in our day and in our time, unless out of this weekend there comes a commitment in your heart, you young people, that you're going to give your life and every ounce of strength you have, whether you're in business, in the shop or factory or out on the farm, your first and primary Joy will be the declaration of the accuracy and the greatness of God's word. There is no hope for our nation. That's right. Bless your wonderful heart. People, somebody's got to declare it. And God has no hands but our hands, ladies and gentlemen. God has no feet but your feet. God has no brain cells but your brain cells. And the true God does not possess all devil spirits, all wrong possesses. But God, the true God, doesn't possess. He simply lays out his word and he says, whosoever will may what? Come. That's all. What a tremendous difference. What a tremendous difference. Whenever the devil does anything or devil spirits do anything, they always possess people. And to be possessed means you're controlled. You are a medium. You are a channel. But you and I are not mediums, avenues, or channels for the true God. We are not possessed. We are believers who by God's mercy and by God's grace confessed with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believed God raised him from the dead and God saved us. And we did this with a clarity of mind and a conviction of ourselves without any possession. That's right. Every time in the other field, my friend, when Satan wants to do anything, he possesses people. He controls them. He takes over their vocal cords, their mouth. He speaks through them. If you look at it just sense knowledge-wise, you can't tell the difference between the genuine and the counterfeit. But if you know God's Word, you can see that counterfeit a mile off. You've read in the newspapers periodicals and other places you've seen it on TV and heard it on radio someone will say well I just couldn't help myself ever heard that 
I didn't want to do that, but something drove me to do it. Ever heard that? I didn't really mean to kill that fellow, but something came over me. I just couldn't help. What's the word say? That individual at that moment was what? Possessed. Under the true word of God, you're always free. In this great auditorium here at the Way Biblical Research Center, tonight you're free. You can either accept God's word I'm teaching or you don't have to. Because nobody is possessing you. Nobody's controlling you. Nobody's shoving anything down your throat. You, you're a free moral agent. You're doing your own thinking. And that's how it should be. Because if a man wants to go to hell, he ought to have the right to go. <laughs> That's right. Verse 9 says, There was a certain man called Simon, which before time, before the time of the coming of Philip, in the same city of Samaria, used what? Sorcery. Sorcery is the black arts field. It is spiritualism. I call it hooky pookism. Right. He used sorcery and he bewitched the people. He pulled the wool over their eyes, giving out that himself was what? Some great one. To whom? Verse 10. They all in Samaria gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of what? God. That's what they said. Can't you just hear those words echoing down the streets and in the halls of the community buildings of Samaria? Whenever Simon spoke, that people would get up and say, this man is the great power of God. This man is the great power of God. This man is the great power of God. Was he the great power of God? Yes, he was. They just forgot to declare which God. That's all. That's all. Because, ma'am, the Bible says there are two gods. I hardly find a church member who knows that there are two. Well, what in the world has the church been doing? If you don't even know, after sitting in the church pews for 40 years, that there are two gods. What you doing in Sunday school, playing tiddlywinks? What are you doing in your catechetical instructions, your confirmation schools? The Bible says there are two gods. One is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the other God is the God of this world. And when they said of Simon, this man is the great power of God, the Bible says that he had bewitched them. They were possessed. Well, what power of God was he declaring? That's right. The God of this world who is Satan. The devil. That's all. And to him, verse 11, they had regard because that of a long time he had bewitched them. But, but, verse 12, but, 
And whenever the word but is used, it's always used in contrast. That which follows is contrast, set in contrast with that which precedes. It's one of those little words that does great things in the Bible. But when they what? Believed. When they believed. When they believed. Believed what? Philip's preaching. Well, what had Philip preached? The word. Who is Christ, right? When they believed. Philip's preaching. What happened to him? You got the results of what they believed. Right? Well, sure. By sheer logic. If you believe to stand up now, you know what you do? Stand up. When they heard Philip's preaching, Jesus Christ, the word of God, they believed Philip's preaching. And when you believe, you get the results of your believing. You get nothing in life without believing. Everything we are tonight, we are because of our believing. No man ever rises or woman beyond what they believe. And no one can believe any more than what they're taught. The reason you and I believe what we believe tonight is because of what we've been taught. You can believe less than what you're taught, but you can't believe more. They believed Philip preaching, and when they believed, they got saved. That's what happened to them. You know why? The word of God and the true God is bigger than the God of this world. The word of God declares, he that is in me is greater than he that's in the world. The true God is always bigger than Satan. And wherever there are men and women who know the true God and declare the true God, they can beat the earballs off of old Satan any time they believe and walk with it. And if we're not defeating Satan, we're not declaring the greatness of the truth of God's word. My people just showing me we're going off the air here in about 30 seconds. That doesn't give me time to finish Acts 8. With you people on the broadcast, I'll finish it here in the auditorium. But you people have been listening to this teaching of this broadcast tonight. Let me say to you, very frankly, unless you're born again of God's Spirit, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do all the good works in the world. You still have no eternal life abiding within you. And never allow yourself to be possessed or controlled in any way, shape, or form. Never give your mind over to anyone. You take that mind of yours and you go to God's word. You believe God's word. And you set on the greatness of God's word and stay put on that God's word. And God's word will work for you. And this is why God's word is declaring to you tonight that you walk in the greatness of it. And this is my prayer for you this week. You believe God's word and you just have a good week all week. Believe with the greatness of God's power in your life. Now look, verse 13. Then Simon himself, Simon the old hooky-pook artist, look at it. The old spiritualist, the one who bewitched the people, giving out that himself was the great power. Then Simon, Simon himself believed what? Also, what happened to old Simon? God saved, that's all. That's nothing. <laughs> Get him started. Isn't that wonderful? Boy, this speaks to our ears, doesn't it? Very thing I just said before we went off the air here a moment ago. The true God has more power than the devil. That's right. 
anytime, where there is a believer. The difference is the true God doesn't possess you. But people get possessed by the devil. And there are so few people who know God's word, the true God, and know God's word, that the devil's just having a heyday. Yeah, sure. The Jeannie Dixons run wild. The Edgar Casey's. Dead and gone, but still living as far as the devil's concerned. All of these things. Because the true born-again believers of God do not know God's word. Now, you can become a Christian in a moment of time and stay stupid the rest of the days of your life. Because to become a Christian is to be born again. And to have a birth happens in a moment of time. But the knowledge of God's word takes time to learn. And not only takes time to learn, you've got to find the people, the men and women who have the knowledge that can teach it to us. Then Simon himself believed also. <laughs> when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. He followed old Philip around, carried his suitcases, briefcase. <laughs> but all the time he was gone with him, he did what? He wandered. Not W-A, but W-O. He wandered. You know what he's wandering about? He was wandering about those miracle signs and wonders that Philip had done. Because before Philip came to town, what was he doing? A few signs, miracles, and wonders of his own too, huh? He had bewitched the people for a long time. So now he gets converted and he follows Philip around. He scratches his head. Boy, I wonder how that fellow does that, you know. Whew. wonder how he does that. I'm surprised old Simon didn't get splinters in his fingers scratching his head. That's right. <laughs> Verse 14. Now when the apostles... You know, they stayed back in Jerusalem. Remember, we read that a while ago, right? Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received decomai. The word decomai is to receive spiritually. Subjective reception. That Samaria had subjectively received the word of God. They sent unto them Peter and John who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive, that they might lambano, not decomai, numahagio, Holy Spirit. How do you like that for accuracy? Boy, oh boy. The people in Samaria had spiritually received, but they hadn't lambanoed anything. They had decomied. They had received subjectively but they hadn't lambanoed anything. They hadn't manifested anything. Sounds like modern America. Fools of people across America, born again of God's Spirit, never manifest a blessed thing. And we'll call up Peter and John. <laughs> they had spiritually received, but when you receive something spiritually, I can't see it. 
Why? Because it's spirit. You can't see spirit. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. You can't touch it. Right? God is what? Spirit. Can you see God? No. You can see me. You can see the nose on my face because I am not God. But you can't see the God in Christ that's in me because that is what? Spirit. Now what proof? What proof? Do you have in the senses world you got spirit? Nothing. Until you lombano something. The moment you lombano something, the moment you bring it out into concretion, into manifestation, in the senses realm that I can see or hear, then I've got the proof in the senses realm that you've got the spirit within. <laughs> People say to me, you know, by their fruits ye shall know them. Is that right? That's a bunch of baloney. One of the greatest unbelievers I know has the finest fruit in the country. That's right. He doesn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. As a matter of fact, he's born of the seed of the serpent. But if you ever want to be with someone who is the most congenial, the most loving, the most understanding, the one who just never does anything to cross you, I'll introduce you to him. He's got all the fruit that people talk about, but he hasn't got Christ. Can't go with Mahatma Gandhi had great fruit. And yet Mahatma Gandhi, two weeks before he was shot, publicly declared, and Mrs. John is in here tonight, you may be able to corroborate this from India. He said that he believed that Jesus Christ was one of the great prophets, great men of all time, but he did not accept him as his personal Lord and Savior. Yet he had a wonderful fruit. He lived the Sermon on the Mount. I got a little trouble with it once in a while. Now, what was this one thing? What was this one thing in the census realm, which was the lambanoing of the decomai? They had decomai, they had spiritually succeed, uh, received, but something hadn't come into manifestation. So Peter and John came down from Jerusalem and they were heads of the church in Jerusalem and they laid hands on them and it said they lombanoed. May I take you back to Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost where all of this trouble started? <laughs> Wish we'd get it going again. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one what? And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with Pneumahagion, Holy Spirit, and began to what? Speak in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. The speaking in tongues was the external manifestation in the census realm. It was the lambano, the receiving into the census realm, which was the proof that they had decomide spiritually on the inside. Now it's Samaria. 
Old Philip had preached the word, but no manifestation. No manifestation that they were really born again. And yet there was healing there. Yet there were signs. Don't you see it? You can have signs, miracles, and wonders. You can have healings. You can get people born again of God's Spirit and still not be fully carrying out God's Word. Peter and John came down to when they were come down, prayed for them, that they might lambano, manifest. Verse 17 says they laid their hands on them and they lambanoed. They manifested the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, and when Simon saw, S-A-W spells saw. And when Simon saw, Simon saw, S-A-W, class, can you see spirit? No. Then whatever Simon saw could not have been spirit. It had to be a what? Manifestation of what? Spirit. Sure, by sheer logic. Can't see spirit. Whatever it was that Simon saw, S-A-W, had to be in the census realm, which could only be a manifestation. Acts chapter 2, and they manifested, what did they do? Spoken tongues. Speaking in tongues is the external manifestation in the senses realm that you have Christ within. When Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. <laughs> he offered them what? Money. CIF. Cash in fist. Sure. He said, boy, I gotta have it. I'll buy it. Can you buy the things of God with money? No, sir, else these other fellows got more money to have more than I've got. That wouldn't be fair. They'd have more than you. Maybe you have. That wouldn't be fair. Then God would be a what? Respecter. Boy, this is tremendous. Isn't it wonderful that you can't buy favor with God? You can't buy anything from God. But if you find out what's available, here we go. <laughs> find out what's available, know what, how to receive it, and in the third place, know what to do with it after you've got it. Whosoever will may what? Come. Isn't God wonderful? But old Simon thought he could buy it. When Simon saw that through the laying on of hands they were manifesting things, Simon says, boys, how much you want tonight? Here it is, I'll buy her. And old Peter says, go fry in your own fat, boy. Listen what he said. Ah. Give me also this power, verse 19, and whosoever may lay on, he made lambano. Peter said unto him, thy merit money perish with thee. The word perish is the word rot. Your money rot with you, boy. Because thou hast what? Thought. Thought. Well, where do you think? In your feet? No. Sometimes we think there, baby, but up here is where we... Where, where does all wrong believing start? Right here, in the mind. Peter said, because you thought, you're, you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with what? Money. That's something. 
Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, and the word matter is ministry. For your heart, the seat of your personal life, is not right in the sight of God. And the word repent in verse 22 is forsake in the text. Forsake therefore this thy wickedness and pray God that the thoughts of your heart, the thoughts of your mind, the heart is the seat of the personal life here where the decisions are made, not made in your physical heart. It just represents this. It speaks of it. And it, your decisions are made in your mind. If you were rewriting it accurately, you would say it today. Forsake, therefore, of this your wickedness and pray, God, that the thoughts of your mind may be forgiven you. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come unto me. And that's the end of the record. You think Peter and John may have prayed for him? Oh, yes. Would you pray for someone if they came and asked you? I would. You know, in Romans chapter 10, And in verse 17, it says that faith cometh by what? Hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. You see it? In Acts chapter 8, how did that faith come in Samaria? They heard the what? Word of God. In this auditorium tonight, how does faith come? Hearing the word. That's right. Huh. Verse 15 says, well, verse 13, verse 12, here we go. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all, Jew and Greek, is rich unto all, Jew or Greek or Gentile, that call upon him. For whosoever, whosoever, whosoever means what? Whosoever. Of Jew or Gentile shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be what? Whosoever means what? Right. If anybody in this auditorium goes home tonight without Christ, you're stupider and stupid. And you just can't be that stupid and sit under my teaching. I hope. For why should a man or a woman who has never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ ever want to leave the way Biblical Research Center on a Sunday night without knowing that they're heaven-bound and all hell can't stop them from going. That's right. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing cometh by the Word of God, and every Sunday evening when we meet here at the Way Biblical Research Center for another teaching session, always the Word lives here. No matter whether I'm teaching or Peter Wade or anyone else, we stand for only one thing in this center, and that is that we must have men and women, every time the public meets, we teach one thing, and that's the word. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing cometh by the word. Whosoever, whosoever then shall call upon the name of the Lord is going to get what? Saved. But verse 14 says, How shall they call on him in whom they have not what? Believed. 
How shall they believe in him of whom they have not what? Heard. Huh. Boy, they can't hear unless somebody knows and somebody teaches it, right? That's why people many times don't get saved because they don't hear. And you're not saved because you got a feeling. You're saved because you made a confession. That's right. That's why Romans 10.9 says what it says. If thou shalt confess with thy what? Mouth. The Lord Jesus. What is it to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus? Very simple. It's to say it. That's all. To confess it is to say it. Confess with your mouth. What is it to confess with your mouth? To confess with your mouth is to say it. Can you say it sitting there? Could you say it out loud? Could you say it without saying it out loud? Well, now look at me. All of you in the auditorium say, I love the Lord Jesus Christ out loud. Let me hear you. Now, say it without saying it out loud. Have you said it? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus has what? Doesn't say where, but it says do it. <laughs> That's all, right? Because class, you can miss God everywhere and find him anywhere. But you'll be found of him when you do what the rules and regulations of the ball game say. Confess with your mouth, Jesus as what? Lord. To confess it is to say it. It doesn't say you have to come to the altar, does it? If it did, I'd have the blooming altar taken out. That's right. If I had to get you to the altar to get you saved, I'd take the altar out to keep you unsaved to get you saved sitting down or something. Ma'am, anything you and I have to do to get saved is what? Work. Got it? Old Simon tried to get it by what? CIF. CIF is work. <laughs> get it. Ladies and gentlemen, you need not go any other place than where you are right now to make the greatest decision in your whole life. That is to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. To simply say, with all the strength of your being and all the conviction of your soul, I make Jesus Christ Lord of my life. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And do what? Believe, 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 believe what? That God did what? Raised him from the dead. And thou shalt be what? That's what the word says. That's what it means. It's not a confession of your sin. Man, if you're going to confess that, you'd be up from now on till doomsday. Right. People don't get saved because they confess their sin. And I don't care what any evangelist says or anybody else says. Because confession of sin is works. And we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace, lest any man should boast and feed his Right? And confession of sin is not only works, it's hard work. Now let me ask you a question. Some of you young people in here tonight, 22, 24, 25, 19, how many sins did you commit in those years? If you're 19 years old tonight, you think maybe you got 36 of them? How about 50? 
Would you settle for a hundred in nineteen years? Some of us can do those in a week. In the past, right? You see what I'm trying to get to? There isn't a man or a woman or a boy or girl living who could come down to an altar and confess their sin and get saved by confession of sin because nobody can remember all the sins they've committed. And if you just forgot to confess one, if you were saved by confession of sin and you forgot one, you would forever remain what? Unsaved. That's why we don't confess our sin. We confess the Savior from sin. The Lord Jesus Christ is our personal Lord and Savior. We confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. Jesus as Lord in our life. We confess Him, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior from sin. We confess Him with our mouth. We say it. And we believe in one thing that God did what? Raised Him from what? Okay, let me ask you a question. Have you ever confessed with your mouth Jesus as Lord? Have you ever really meant it when you said Jesus was Lord in your life? Do you believe God raised him from the dead? If you've made that confession and if that is what you believe, you are what? Saved. You have eternal life. You have now decomide within. But what about the lumbano? What have you manifested? To manifest, you must move your lips, your throat, your tongue. You must speak in any other language or languages than you know. And that is speaking in tongues. And that's exactly what they did on the day of Pentecost. And this is what Simon saw. After Peter and John had come down and laid hands on them and they lambano. And it's in the operation of the manifestations of the Spirit that the Christian believers have the power of God in manifestation, in concretion. 